Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And we've talked about birth control many times in the podcast, the different types of birth control and the awesomeness of birth control in terms of planning, pregnancy, taking more control of your reproductive health and schedules. But warning to listeners, this is not going to be such a rosy podcast about birth control. Right. We are talking today about kind of the negative effects that some birth control can have on you, um, depending on your age, your health, all of these different factors. And we were inspired to tackle this issue by a Vanity Fair article that uh, came out in December, actually. It was published in December by Marie Brenner. And it was a pretty scary article. And, you know, Krista and I were talking about it. And we not only want to kind of talk with you about what was in the article itself and some of the scary issues surrounding birth control, but also take more of a kind of panned out objective look at some of these issues as well. Yeah, because uh, when I read the article, it was it took a moment for it to sink in because it's it has a very emotional undercurrent painting Mm -hmm. the lives of these young women who died due to health complications caused by hormonal birth control. But then once I started thinking about it and thinking about that emotional effect that the article had on me, I realized that there were a lot of factual holes in it as well. So first of all, let's just talk about the focus of this Vanity Fair piece that, that got a lot of people, not just us talking. Um, it, it really focused on the birth control brand Nuvering. Right. And this is a type of combination hormonal birth control that is very common in our country. It was developed back in the 90s by Organon, which is a Dutch drug company, and it hit our market in the U.S. in 2002. Uh, another company, Sharing Plow, bought Organon in 2007, and Merck, which you've probably heard of, big pharmaceutical company, acquired Sharing Plow in 2009. And Nuvarang in the United States has been prescribed 44 million times over the past decade. And the reason, too, why we're name-checking all of these pharmaceutical companies is not to bog you down in the details, but uh, point out that they are big players in this sort of pipeline of information from these drug manufacturers down to the doctors, down to women who are taking and using drugs like Nuvaring, which is, if you're not familiar, it's a flexible, transparent ring that is inserted into the vagina. You put it in yourself and you wear it for three weeks. And um, it's marketed as... A simpler type of birth control, because unlike a pill, you don't have to remember to take it every day at the same time. Right. And so there's a lot of marketing push as behind any drugs. We're not just harping on birth control here, but there's a lot of marketing behind it that, you know, depicts women, young women out at the club or they're super happy and they're running down the street with their friends. It's like it is clear that you want to be the type of woman who uses NuvaRing as like a liberating force in your life. Yeah, it it has a lot of great marketing behind it. Yeah, and I will say, side note, that I love marketing like that that depicts women doing group activities on their period, like that. Like that's yeah. just what we do. Yeah, Caroline, you want, whenever I get my period, I call Caroline to go jogging. 
That's right. And I bring the balloons. Yeah. I ride up on my bicycle, my cruiser bike. <laughs> yeah. And you're in a skirt, even though no one ever rides bikes in skirts. And then we release the balloons at the end of our uh, triumphant uh, menstrual jog. Um, but back to Nuvering. It is, by the way, the only vaginal hormonal contraceptive approved by the FDA for use in the United States. And that basically means it's the only kind of birth control that you put inside your vagina yourself, unlike an IUD that's implanted in your uterus. Correct. And sim- similar to the pill, NuvaRing is a combination uh, hormonal birth control, meaning that it contains estrogen and progestin, and that prevents your ovaries from producing mature eggs. And basically the hormone release is activated once the ring is in your vagina, and it is supposed to release a continuous low dose of hormones. But as we will get into Part of the issue with NuvaRing is that subsequent studies show that there were dangerous spikes in estrogen. Yeah. And so this Vanity Fair article by Marie Brenner introduced readers to two main women who suffered from what are called pulmonary embolisms, uh, which is a, sort of a fancy medical term for blood clots that were thought to be related to the NuvaRing. And the story kicks off with this anecdote about a young woman named Erica Langhart, who, I mean, it was a tragic story. She was highly successful and she was on her way to go to her parents' house for Thanksgiving in 2011. And she just collapsed on the floor of her apartment couldn't breathe, had two heart attacks in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. And the uh, the doctor, one of the first questions the doctor asked her boyfriend was whether she was using birth control and what kind it was. Right. And so he did suspect NuvaRing. Um, Erica's mother confirmed, you know, by the by phone that she was on NuvaRing. The doctor removed it. And Erica actually died on Thanksgiving Day 2011, and her parents were told that she had had a double pulmonary embolism. Yeah, and one thing that the article points out is how at the memorial service Mm -hmm. for Erica, her parents, because they were immediately so horrified at this Nuvering connection in the the program for the memorial service, it said cause of death. Or something along the lines of cause of death, pulmonary embolism, NuvaRing. Right, exactly. And and the mother, you know, talks about Karen Langhart talks about how she did a whole bunch of research online and was horrified to find the number of lawsuits that are going on around NuvaRing and the hormones in NuvaRing and the connection with blood clots in young women. The story also talked about Megan Henry, who sounds like the most athletic person in the world. Um, she was actually out in Utah training for the 2014 Winter Olympics when she started having trouble breathing and, uh, her coach and everybody said, oh, you're probably just, you know, affected by the altitude and all that stuff. And on a flight to Florida, Megan almost collapsed and a CT scan that she had in Connecticut. So she's doing, taking all these flights, which is, you know, the worst thing you can do if you have blood clots, uh, during a CT scan, it showed that she had dozens of clots in her lungs. She was immediately put on blood thinners and spent a week in the emergency room. Yeah, and the doctor even said that if she hadn't been in such supreme physical shape, she probably would have died before that. But the story notes that if she ever decides to get pregnant, because of the risk that pregnancy itself carries for blood clots, she'll probably have to be on a painful round of blood thinners. And so clearly from the get-go in this Vanity Fair article, we have these two gripping and horrifying stories about what's happened to these 
young women. And so, you know, the next question is, well, okay. I mean, we, we've heard that hormonal birth control can cause these kinds of blood clots. Um, I remember the first time when I was uh, probably 18 or 19, when I talked to my gynecologist about birth control, she immediately, uh, you know, when she was talking about it, she brought up blood clots mm-hmm. in my brain at the time. I, you know, I didn't think anything of that. That right. really didn't seem like something that could actually kill you. Um, and, and also, you, you know, in your mind, you might be thinking, well, this has been approved by the FDA. This has got to be fine, right? I mean, yeah. you have a side effect. There are risks, but there are risks with anything we're putting in our bodies, right? Right. And that's that's kind of how my my view of it was, too. Exactly the same. It's like eh, clots happen to other people. I'm relatively healthy. I'm young. I don't have anything to worry about. But um, I, I don't think I was quite made to understand the actual risks that can that some birth control can carry, because I was put on a type of birth control, Yasmin, that has also been implicated in thousands of lawsuits as well as its generic forms, which I was also on. And so I just thought, well, yeah, I'll be fine. No, no worries. Right. And it's not just blood clots that can be potential negative side effects to hormonal birth control. I mean, depending on the type of birth control you're on, you could be at risk for developing ovarian cysts, which goes along with uh, the Mirena IUD. Uh, if you are using the patch, then one of the side effects, possible side effects is stroke. Um, then with Depo-Provera, which is the shot, you might be at risk of a loss of bone mineral density. And so we're not saying all of this as to, to you know, to encourage everyone listening to get off your birth control right now. But rather to, you know, let's let's educate ourselves a little bit more about what the actual risks of these side effects are, and particularly with this issue of the pulmonary embolisms and also some details that this Vanity Fair article completely left out that maybe made these risks seem riskier than they actually are. So, yeah, let's let's give you a rundown of uh, that Vanity Fair piece and some of the studies they looked at. One of them was the original study that Organon, that Dutch drug company, did on NuvaRing and the fact that they only examined 16 women. And now I'm no researcher or medical doctor of any kind, as I feel like I've hammered home on, on the podcast before. But that is an incredibly small trial. Even so, during that trial, they found that two women had massive spikes of estrogen in the first couple days. Two other women had unexplained spikes of estrogen midway through. However, those spikes were not mentioned in the 30-page summary that was submitted to the FDA in 2001 for NuvaRing's approval. And one of the things they bring up is that, you know, the FDA, it's not like they have a bajillion people working for them. If the stats, if that information is not in that executive summary and it's buried somewhere in a 700-page report, is probably not going to come to light, at least right away anyway. And I will say one concerning thing in terms of birth control testing, considering how for a lot of, uh, you know, like oral contraceptives and types of birth control, where the way that you take it definitely influences Mm -hmm. the outcomes and efficacy. uh, The the author notes how NuvaRing hasn't been tested 
outside of factory conditions, which makes a difference for something like the ring that you insert into the vagina and kind of forget it. You set it and forget it. Um, but that could be problematic since the package recommends that it stays between 68 and 77 degrees Fahrenheit or for our listeners outside the United States, 20 to 25 degrees Celsius. Um, and so Brenner says, well, what could happen if it overheats, say, in the transport process? Yeah. Or if it's sitting, you know, in your car for a long time or you're carrying it around in your purse and it kind of get the, the temperature gets a little wonky. Right. Um, so so that's a, I think that's a valid concern to have in regard to this testing. Right. And so testing that came along kind of way after the fact, after NuvaRing had been on the market quite a bit, found uh, an incredibly increased risk for venous thromboembolism or VTE. Uh, in 2011, the FDA released a report that was commissioned by health insurance company Kaiser Permanente. And in looking at nearly one million women, they found that women using contraceptive rings were 56 percent more likely than women using a different hormonal contraceptive to suffer a VTE or a life threatening blood clot. And that's one of the studies that is also mentioned in that Vanity Fair article. Yeah, but it would have also been helpful and informative if Brenner had gone back and talked to, say, the lead study author, Steve Sidney, who's the director of research clinics at Kaiser Permanente, Northern California, who, after this article came out and, uh, you know, people were like, well, what are, are we actually at risk for all of this? And they cited this study. He said, actually, no, the, those findings were not accurately reported on because that study was not adjusted to account for uh, only new birth control users. And so when they adjusted for that to really focus in on the the nuvering, they found no increased blood clot risk. So the numbers get a little muddy. And that's also a problem that you're going to see, too, with a lot of these studies on birth control risks is that... You start tweaking methodologies and looking at different numbers and looking at different populations of women who have been on birth control for a while or haven't been at all. And you start to get a lot of conflicting information. Right. I mean, just the following year in 2012, a study came out in the British Medical Journal that found that women using rings were 90 percent more likely to have a VTE than women using other forms of birth control. Yeah, and but then again, the methodology of that study has been called into question because it didn't factor in very important variables like family history of blood clots or obesity, other health issues. And, you know, in the stories of Erica Langhart and Megan Henry, tragic though they are, and, you know, they're seemingly quite healthy mm-hmm. women, obviously, Brenner did nothing, though, to look into what their family histories might have been as well. They're just, you know, kind of put forward as these sort of almost perfect specimens of young women. But again, it's it's not as simple as just saying, you know, this will kill you. Right. Period. And I mean, obviously, since we're doing a podcast on this, obviously, I have no problem discussing very openly the risks of certain things like birth control, like medication in general. But it is important to discuss the full story. Right. Well, and and that's a takeaway, too, for when you're sitting in the doctor's office and they're about to hand you just a sample of birth control, which is something that happened to me, you know, at one point years ago. And I took the sample and started using it. Mm -hmm. But 
you know, to talk about, well, what is my family history? Am I, you know, preconditioned to blood clot issues? Right. And the thing is, like, I this got me thinking back to every doctor visit I've pretty much ever had where they make you fill out your family history. I have a family history of heart disease, mm-hmm. but that was never, ever, not once brought up in any of my discussions about birth control with my doctor. You know, anything about worrying about <laughs> cardiovascular health, anything. It right. was just like, well, you're a young woman and you want to have sex, so here's birth control. Go on your merry way. And, you know, I'm I'm lucky that nothing happened, but, you know, I also didn't really know what to ask at the time. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't have known up until, you know, a few days ago, really digging into this kind of research of what to ask for and also things that I need to do and understanding more about my own family history. Right. So looking back at that 2012 British Medical Journal study talking about VTEs, they stated that in any given year out of 10,000 women who are not using a hormonal contraceptive, an average of 2.1 would suffer a VTE. And that risk increases six and a half times for a woman using the vaginal ring. And so that number would go up from 2.1 out of 10,000 women to 7.75 out of 10,000. But in a follow-up piece over at Women's Health, kind of looking, digging into these studies that were cited in the Vanity Fair piece, they did note that for comparison, if you're taking something like Levana or Gestrel, which is an oral contraceptive, the blood clot risk is elevated as well to 6.2 out of 10,000. Yeah. So there's no perfect solution. No, no medicine is perfect. Um, but, you know, these are risks that you need to keep in mind. Is, Absolutely. Is what we are trying to hammer home. But the next question then is why that increase in risks exists. What is really going on with the chemistry of these hormonal contraceptives that might be um, increasing that blood clot risk and the, the risk of other side effects as well, which we will get into when we come right back from a quick break. And now back to the podcast. So we were talking a lot about the fact that a lot of times with uh, the vaginal ring and with oral contraceptives, the fact of the matter is the risk for developing blood clots that can be fatal is elevated. So what is going on, though, especially with the NuvaRing? Why is it that that uh, that that risk is so concerning? A lot of it has to do with the fact that NuvaRing and certain other combined hormonal contraceptives use newer generations of progestins. Uh, these newer generation hormones tend to have fewer androgenic side effects, such as acne, such as, you know, growth of hair on your face. But they do come with a higher risk for VTEs. And it was back in around the 80s and 90s that these third and fourth generation progestins had started getting substituted for earlier ones in order to lessen effects like that. But on the downside, even though you might have less issues dealing with acne and unwanted hair growth, they do come along with that greater risk. And this is coming out of a study published in the Journal of General Internal Medicine in 1999, which found that the risk of VTE appears to be 1.5 to 2.7 fold greater in users of those third generation progestins compared with second generation oral contraceptives. Now, that's important to point out that that's looking at the oral contraceptives, not the ring. Right. And when you compare women taking these oral contraceptives with non-users, 
Women who use third-generation oral contraceptives may have a 4.8 to 9.4-fold greater risk of venous thromboembolism. And because of what's happened in the case of someone like Erica Langhart, who died as a result of the complications from the Nuvering, there are a lot of lawsuits happening in multiple states against drug companies in regard to that venous thromboembolism caused by the third and fourth generation birth controls. And so, I mean, again, going back to that Vanity Fair piece, it focuses a lot on the attorney who is, he's a mass tort lawyer who is out to really bring Merck like to justice, I guess. At least that's what he might say. And I mean, he offered a, a very stern warning to his daughters at one point. Yeah, he told Vanity Fair that he called his daughters up and told them not to ever use any third or fourth generation birth control, saying it could kill you. But you know what I gotta say? I will trust a mass tort lawyer as far as I can throw him or the bench with his face on it outside of the bus stop. <laughs> not to say that this guy is that guy, but it's like there, that was one other issue with the Vanity Fair piece where when you, when you paint lawyers who go go after these massive settlement cases mm-hmm. as sort of savior figures. Right. I mean, because on the one side, you have drug companies that don't want to tell the truth about the risks of their drugs, and that's terrible. Right. You know, you have a bigger budget for marketing at Merck than you do for research and development. So that's that's the bad on the one side. But the bad on the other side is that it's not that Sholnick, the lawyer that they talked to, it's not that he's not trying to help women. He, exactly. he is trying to help women. But you also have to look at these attorneys as making a living, trying to make a living, going into these very expensive cases, oh, yeah, knowing I mean, that they have the potential to make a lot of money, too. I mean, because these are billion mm-hmm. with a B dollar settlements that they're going after and really caught in the middle, too, of all of this is, you know, the elephant in the room, which is the FDA, which is just sitting there like, well, what can we do? Yeah. Well, so also coming from that Vanity Fair piece, they talk about how there are more than 1,500 federal lawsuits pending in federal court and about 2,000 more filed in state courts over these drugs. And the complaints show that the drug manufacturers failed to warn the public about the dangers of blood clots. Now, Anybody who's ever taken birth control, you know, especially that first time you bring it home from the doctor, you unfold that huge, you know, Bible page thin sheet of paper that, you know, not only shows you the how the chemicals are structured, but it tells you every possible risk. And it's it's terrifying. But, you know, it's it's in there, but it's not necessarily displayed as no, really, you have to worry about this. Well, and in a way, this might make me, uh, this might sound horrible, but sometimes when I pull out those <laughs> biblical packets of information, it's almost like seeing those giant terms of use agreement on the internet where you just automate, you're like, I'm just going to scroll to the bottom, click I agree, and then so I can get into my iTunes account. It's the same kind of thing. I don't think we're pulling out the, you know, the magnifying glass you'd need to read the teeny Tiny print, even though we should. Well, you know, and I have on different medications I've taken. I will pull that thing out and and read over it. But it's the same kind of thing as when you it's exactly the same as the terms of use on iTunes or whatever, because you just look at it and you're like, well, 
Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's nothing I can do. Well, your doctor prescribed it to right. you. It's like, okay, well, this could cause, you know, blood clots and et cetera, et cetera, you know, or, you know, my internet provider is going to be looking at my, my internet use. Like it's the same, same kind of thing. You know, you, you accept the risk. Well, and speaking of, of the risk of blood clots, that is one thing we haven't explicitly mentioned, which is the reason why they're so dangerous is because they can travel to different parts of your body and relocate in places like the lungs, which is what happened to Megan Henry. That's why the the clots can be such a life-threatening issue, which was something that, like I said, when I was, you know, a, a teenager and my doctor said cl- blood clots, I didn't bat an eyelash. Right. And while the absolute risk of getting blood clots is small, the chance of getting it over a lifetime is small, it is significant enough to keep in mind, because all combination estrogen and progestin birth control products do carry that increased risk for stroke and blood clots in the veins, although it is lower for oral contraceptives than for the patch or the ring. Yeah, but no matter what kind of birth control you are using, when you factor in things like if you're smoking, if you are obese, if you do have heart disease, risk factors... You know, that's when you really need to, well, first of all, quit smoking. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> beyond that, uh, then you really need to pay attention to, um, whether or not you're taking something that does have even those smaller, but nevertheless elevated risks with them. Right. Well, I mean, one thing that, uh, experts recommend is switching from an estrogen containing contraceptive to progestin only contraceptives like, uh, mini pills. IUDs or just barrier contraceptive methods. Yeah. And that's in the case of, you know, that's not across the board. That's in the case if you do have one of those elevated risk factors. Correct. Yeah. Then you should probably stay away from the estrogen. Yeah. So we've been digging and digging into these risk factors, really putting birth control under the microscope, because the fact of the matter is, is that I don't think enough people do know about this. Um, I don't think that a, a, a lot of us are as aware as we could be or should be about the questions even just to ask at the doctor's office. Right, exactly. I mean, I didn't know to ask any questions. I didn't know that I should be concerned. I thought since I was a perfectly healthy person, you know, there would be no reason for me to even bring it up. But your doctor's not necessarily going to bring it up either. Marie Brenner, the Vanity Fair reporter, sent two young women out to college clinics and Planned Parenthood clinics to seek the NuvaRing. And none of the healthcare providers that these women talked to mentioned the increased VTE risk. And so right there is an example of how, again, I feel like we've said this before, you need to be an advocate for your own health care. And so what we're seeing is a medication that has potentially awful side effects and women aren't necessarily being told the full story. Yeah. And of course, marketing that's coming out of the pharmaceutical companies like Merck who want to sell these products to us are only going to minimize the risk. I mean, you have the contrast for, uh, first of all, it, it is 
strange to me that drug marketing, like commercials like that, are allowed on television. I feel like that's half of the problem, or not half of the problem, but a, a chunk of the problem. Um, because you'll see, you know, the gaggle of gals going out, having a great time on the birth control because it's changed their life for the better. And then the fast talking, like low voice comes into the, the end being like, this birth control could actually really screw up your life if you're not paying attention and you need to know your family risk issues. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um, the thing is, I mean, marketing, uh, you know, these these drug companies know that they know the risk. They know they have to tell you the risk, but they're going to do as much as they can to downplay it. Because when you have a case like OrthoEvra, they came majorly under fire. They were in the line of fire before uh, NuvaRing was. And so because of litigation, they ended up having to put a huge warning on their packages about the increased danger of uh, VTEs. And when they did that, their sales plummeted 80 percent. And I will say, I know I realize this is anecdote, but I met a few girls. This was years ago mm-hmm. when the patch had recently come on the market and, you know, girls were like trying it out because you're, you're like, oh, are you on the one where you don't get a period? Are you on an IUD? Like, you always kind of compare like what kind of birth control you're on. And horror stories I heard from women on the patch. Uh, and it just, it sounded awful. Really? Yeah. Just, just more of the side effects of insane, uh, kind of levels of moodiness mm-hmm. and w- sudden weight gain, uh, drastic skin problems, mm-hmm. all of that more androgenic stuff, um, you know, that we might think about more. Cause I know in my mind too, there have been, uh, times when I was younger when I would go to get birth control and that was the number one thing I wanted to know. Is it going to make me gain weight? And will it clear up my skin? Because that'd be nice. And these companies, you know, will even go so far as to instruct drug reps on how to minimize the risks of things like NuvaRing when they are talking to doctors. So I'm not saying that your doctor is stupid or your doctor is ignorant and not willing to find out information, but the people from whom they are getting information might have been instructed to not tell them the full story. And so let's, though, arm our listeners with some knowledge, some some practical things that they can do aside from possibly panicking about what kind of birth control they're on. Because the, the moral of the story is not to panic or to flush your birth control down the toilet. It's simply to consider going to your doctor with some questions, mm-hmm. such as what are the different methods of birth control how effective are they? Rather than just sitting there and saying, hand me a sample, mm-hmm. please. Right. Yeah. How effective are they? Especially based on my lifestyle and my health risks. Um, you want to know maybe what medical conditions can birth control affect. Maybe you're not getting on birth control for actual pregnancy prevention, but to handle certain other medical issues that women face. Um, you want to ask your doctor about your how your family health history will affect the type of birth control you should use. And, of course, as we have said, you want to inquire about side effects. Yeah. And I mean, and if you want to know about specific side effects, if this if hearing about this issue with the VTEs is concerning 
ask specifically about that. Yeah. You know, um, and outside of the doctor's office, too, I highly recommend uh, the website bedsider.org, which is a really user friendly resource for learning about the different methods of birth control. They have a ton of comprehensive um, information on the, kind of the lifestyle stuff, the um, efficacy, risks, all of that. Mm hmm. Well, Kristen, one thing that we only very briefly touched on earlier in the podcast and have not covered is just the fact that blood clots are not solely tied to taking birth control. Yeah. And this was another gaping hole in that Vanity Fair article, which is that the fact of the matter is that if you're concerned about this blood clot issue, which is a valid thing to be concerned about, Birth control statistically isn't the likeliest culprit. Pregnancy is. Right. And the first month after giving birth is actually the highest risk time of all to develop blood clots. Yeah. I mean, and, and this is one reason why in all of the interviews with doctors that I read in, in regard to this Vanity Fair piece, all of them were essentially saying, whoa, whoa. Calm down. It's not that bad. Don't get rid of your birth control. For instance, in the words of Jane Minkin, who's a board certified OBGYN and a clinical professor at Yale School of Medicine, the increased risk, if there is an increased risk, is very, very small. Your risk of a blood clot is much higher if you get pregnant inadvertently. Right. But in the meantime, then, it's also good to educate yourself and be knowledgeable of Mm -hmm. how to keep your body in a healthy working condition up until the point if you do choose or desire or can get pregnant. Right. And so I think this I hope that this episode serves as a good motivating factor for people to really dig deep and learn about their own health and their own health risks and their family history. You know, the better educated you are, the better you can keep your health in good condition. Yeah, I mean, and the title of this podcast is Can Your Birth Control Kill You? And the answer is, yeah, it can. The chances of that are very, 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 very slim. Mm -hmm. One uh, statistic I saw was that it's as likely as getting struck by lightning. Um, It's much likelier to happen, in fact, if you get pregnant. But also just in my adulthood, Caroline, I've also heard just too many stories from girlfriends of mine, like women I meet when you talk about birth control, of having issues, not life-threatening issues, but having issues of doctors who didn't really spend time and just handed them something Mm -hmm. and it kind of wreaked some havoc on their bodies. Yeah. And I think that's something that we need to talk more about where it's like, yeah, we're totally pro-birth control, but we're also pro-women's health and Mm -hmm. pro- in in your words, you know, being advocates for your own health. Right. And what works for you won't necessarily work for me. And so I think it is completely worth it to take that extra time to read up on different forms of medication that you might be taking. Yeah. So uh, I have a feeling this has probably sparked some thoughts in a lot of listeners, and we definitely want to hear from you. Uh, so if you want to send us a letter about it, momstuffatdiscovery.com for your longer thoughts. But if you want to get in touch with us right away, you can always tweet us at momstuffpodcast or message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you, in fact, right now. Well, I've got a letter here about our ode to Dolly Parton a little while ago. This is from Piper, 
who writes, First off, thank you so much for dedicating an episode to such a wonderful woman. I would certainly consider her a feminist icon based solely on the fact that when I was exposed to her as a child, just listening to her music and hearing her speak made me feel that as a woman, I could also fight against the odds that breasts unfortunately bring us from time to time. Hers a little more at times, I'm sure. Also, I think she should be included in some sort of Christian sainthood because she's also such a great example of what Christianity should really be. Saying that, I've been an atheist for a few years now, but if more people acted the way Dolly Parton does every day, there may be more Christians in the world. Second, my boyfriend and I have decided to name all of our pets after strong women. So yes, I do have a cat named Dolly Parton. The other is named after my favorite photographer, Diane Arbus. So from Dolly Arbus, my boyfriend and myself, thank you so much for this episode. And thank you, Piper and your boyfriend and kitty cats. I want to meet Dolly Parton the cat. Yeah. Ooh, send us a pic. And a pic of Diane Arbus. Okay, well, I have a letter here from Rose that is also about our Dolly Parton episode. She says, from age 18 to age 25, I was a stripper. And now at age 29, I am a law student. This means that in my less than 30 years, I have spent some time on opposite ends of the feminism spectrum, from naked showgirl to professional educated woman. I tell you this not to brag about my versatility, but to explain why Dolly means so much to me. I've heard a lot of no, and a lot of you shouldn't, and a lot of how could you, but Dolly is just a big heart full of yes. When I think of Dolly, I think that I can be any kind of woman I want, and I can be many different kinds of women simultaneously and within one little life. She is sexy and beautiful and over the top, and she is also efficient and talented and intelligent and, above all, ambitious. I hope I don't sound trite when I say that Dolly helps me believe in myself. I think she touches a lot of people this way. People who come from having very little can relate to her, as can people who had to make the hard choice between family and career, and people who have stuck to a loving marriage despite a changing world. People who look the way they dream of looking, even if that's not how some people think they should look. People with old-fashioned values and people on the fringes. Dolly is the patron saint of the can-do spirit and of basic human kindness. I have read her book and I have seen her in concert, and as I type this on the ferry on my way to school, I am listening to her greatest hits on my headphones. Dolly means a lot to me, and I couldn't be more pleased that you wonderful gals spend an entire episode on her. I think there's no better way to close this letter than with my favorite Dolly quote, if you see someone without a smile, give them yours. So thank you for your letter, Rose. And thanks to everybody who's written into us. MomStuffAtDiscovery.com is where you can write us. And if you haven't gone there already, you need to bookmark the one place on the Internet where you can find all stuff Mom Never Told You, podcasts, videos, blogs, and all of our social media outlets in one convenient place, StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 